Welcome to New Mansion Church. What you're about to hear is a message from our pastor, Dr. Jeff Mars Sr. To learn more about the church, visit newmansion.org. God bless and enjoy the message. As we join together to worship the Lord. I think it's so vitally important that we do share that testimony that we have, especially with our brothers and sisters. We share that with the world. My little girl used to come to me for comfort and help when she had problems. Now she goes to colder. That's biblical, though. That's biblical. As a Christian, that's the way it should be. And, uh, and so as a Christian, I expect Colder to be the man of God that he is. As a daddy, I demand it, okay? <laughs> but how blessed we are to dwell in the Lord's presence and to receive from him. Someday we're going to rise when he calls when he calls our name? I don't know, Mel. You saying when he calls my name. I wonder if the Lord is going to call each one of us individually. You know, when he called Lazarus out of that grave, there was no saying no. He said, come forth, and he did. And someday he's going to look down at you and me, and he's going to say, come up, and we will if we belong to him. How will we know if we're a Christian? Well, if we're still on the ground, and you've lightened your loads, emptied your pockets and took your shoes off and you're still not rising, that's not a good sign. We need to be ready to go when he calls our name. And I just wonder if someday he will, individually, personally, that voice is the sound of a trumpet, speak to each one of us and say, rise. And we will. We will. This morning we're looking at Matthew chapter 24. We're going to look at verse 15 this morning. Matthew chapter 24 and verse 15. As we continue to look at the Olivet Discourse, we finished up the first section of this last week, talking about the end times relating to the nations. And this morning we move on to what I would, I guess, describe as the second section of this chapter, which is the end times relating specifically to Israel. Now, there is a third section to this chapter, which takes off, which is the end times relating to the church that we'll hopefully get to one of these days. But right now, as we look at this section of Scripture, we're reminded the Lord says that the end times relates to all of the nations, Specifically, it relates to Israel, and there is a portion of that that relates to you and me as well. And so we take hope and we take courage in this world knowing that God has made provision for each one of us. He has made a way of escape for us from this world, from the agony and from the problems of this world and from the impending doom that this world will come under. And so we wait in hope, watching and waiting and ready for his return, as we should be. Matthew chapter 24, verse 15. Jesus 
saying these words, and there is, there is a change that we see that takes place here. In verse 15, Jesus says, When ye therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by, prophet the Dan- by Daniel the prophet stand in the holy place, whoso readeth, let him understand. That is the Lord's exhortation this morning that he would give to the disciples as they came to him privately and asked him these two questions. And so when we reach this section of scripture at verse 15, we see there is a change. And we, we know there is a change because he signals that using the word therefore. It's almost like a changing of gears at this point. And the conversation now shifts from, from the general to the more specific dealing with them. Uh, this morning we want to look at this topic, the abomination of desolation. Let's bow together for a word of prayer. Father, we are so thankful for the moving of your spirit, for the joy and the hope that we have in you, for the promise of life everlasting in you. And Father, we pray this morning as you move in our midst, that you would bless and that you would draw and heal and that you would save, Father. We pray, Father, for the freedom of the Holy Spirit, that you would have your way in our service this day, that you would lead us in your paths, Father, and that we would be obedient simply to listen and to hear and to obey that which you have for us, knowing that you are good and righteous, Father. Your ways are always good. Blessing comes from you and from you alone. And we come asking this day for your blessing, for your spirit, for the hope of all eternity found in you. And we ask it in the name of Jesus. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. This morning we come to this section of scripture. We've described it before in the past. Daniel describes it as the 70th week, speaking of 70 weeks that were given, and we looked at this previously in the book of Daniel, the prophecies given, of a period of 490 years, 70 weeks of seven years that is described. Specific prophecy given to the nation of Israel. And we have seen in the past 483 of those 490 years fulfilled. Daniel telling us that this would begin and this would be centered upon the city of Jerusalem. And looking at the city of Jerusalem, we see that as the children of Israel would return from captivity, as they were literally sent forth by a king, kings who hold other people captive don't turn them loose to go rebuild their own homelands. And they certainly don't give them money to do so and provision and protection. It is unheard of. It is unique. It's happened once in the history of mankind, and we know that it happened because the voice of the Lord spoke to Cyrus. It spoke to Darius and sent these men to do God's will. And so they did, and the city was rebuilt. The walls were rebuilt. The temple was rebuilt. And 483 years of history would take place until Jesus stood upon the Mount of Olives and cried out to the people that this was their day. And then they would take Christ and they would hang him upon a cross, crucify him, 
that there he would hang for the sins of all mankind. But the Bible tells us this, at this point, as Daniel had said, the Messiah would be cut off. Not for himself, but for his people. And then he spoke of another seven-year period that would come. And as we look to that 70th week of Daniel, as we call it, this seven-year period yet to be fulfilled. But we understand that it is fulfilled around the nation of Israel. As, as Israel forms to a nation once again, we see these events here on the forefront of history. A nation that was not has returned to be a nation once again. Again, this doesn't happen. This is unique in the history of all mankind. It's never happened before. It never will happen again. Those things don't happen, but it did happen in 1948. And now for almost 70 years, Israel has been a nation to themselves. And so God's setting the stage, and now in our day and time, we see that the, the focus of all the world truly is on this little city of Jerusalem. The city that has been fought over and blood has been shed upon for 2,000 years a city where the Crusades have taken place and, and all of the different uh, factions of the Middle East and of Europe, and now us as well, are focusing our attention there in this place. God drawing all men and women together to this place, the Bible says, this being the focal point now. And we understand that in our day and time. It's on the news every night. <coughs> Something to do with the Middle East, something to do with those factions in the Middle East, those who love Israel, those who hate Israel. And we understand very plainly that there are those out there that not only hate Israel, but they hate the United States also. Their goal is total annihilation of all of us. Why? Because we don't believe as they believe. It's as simple as that. And so we stand at the crossroads of history, it would seem, in our day and time, and the hour approaches, midnight, when all these events could very well take place. And the disciples came to Jesus, and they asked him two questions. They said, tell us, uh, when will be the end of the age, and what will be the sign of your coming? And if you've read Matthew 24, and you've tried to make some sense out of it, you know how very difficult it can be to read it and to try and comprehend it and to try and tie it into to other scripture. And that's why we're going so slowly and looking at so many of these things. Jesus involves a principle here when he answers those two questions. It is called a chiastic approach. And what that simply means is this. They ask two questions. He answers the second one first. He answers the first one second. And maybe that will help you as you read through here. And what Jesus is doing is he's answering the second question. What will be the sign of your coming? And so as we look at this and we see this, he is eventually going to describe to us the events, uh, the other events that will be, the signs of the, of the age that's there, and the end of all of these things. And as we look at this and try and comprehend this, we're reminded that uh, there is an urgency in the Lord's message, not only to them, but to you and me as well. And so we want to, to deal with that as very best as we can as we look at this portion of Scripture that is before us here. We all want things to get better. And that is the goal of all of our lives. And truly, we want the world to be a better place. But 
the Bible describes for us and Christ describes for us an event that will take place that will be so much worse, eventually things will get better. Eventually the promises of the Bible will all be fulfilled, but there has to be travail. There has to be all of these events that take place that we've looked at. And now Jesus telling us about this event. Now, we can look at the events of our, our world and we can say, you know, there's always been drought, famine, there's always been earthquakes, there's been pestilence, there's been problems, there's been wars, there's been evil men, there's been good men. But Jesus says this is the sign. When you see this sign, this is, this is the main sign. This is an unmistakable sign that is there. And so he points us back to a portion of Scripture in the book of Daniel. Once again, the prophecy of Daniel. Now, I remind you, as Daniel wrote the prophecy, he was told to seal up the book for a future time. And then Jesus comes on the scene, and he expounds Matthew 24 upon what Daniel says and what will be eventually written, the revelation that's there. Paul goes on to describe it in his writings in 1st and 2nd Thessalonians. John the Revelator describes it in his writings as well. And we see that it all really does work together. It all makes sense when we look at it in that light, in the light of how Christ described these events to us. But as he describes this event, the specific sign that's given the abomination of desolation, we look at that and we say, well, what is this all about anyway? The, the word is, uh, the word in the Greek describes, it is the word we use for deluge. It's the word to mean those things that will come upon swiftly and in a very serious manner. It's, uh, it denotes something of disgust, something of rebellion, something that is abhorrent to God. And that's what this term means, the abomination of desolation. It is something that, that God considers to be so abominable, so disgusting, so abhorrent, that it's described in this manner, in this way. And so, as we look at this, we understand that the, what we're looking at here is something far beyond the ordinary. It is something that is evil. It is something that is... It is so bad to God that he describes it in these terms. Now, what is so bad to God? God has seen all of the evil of mankind throughout the ages. He has seen the, the evil of this world and, and the evil that men have committed one to another and the atrocities that are there. We see them going on today. But God says this one thing is worst of all. And it is what we see that took place before the captivity of the children of Israel many years ago. And we see it creeping into our world a little bit more all the time today, and that is this thing called idolatry. It is the worship of something else in place of God. Now, God says that he created us, and our, our aim in life is to give glory to him. That all mankind should glorify God, should recognize Him. We understand that as a Christian nation, we were built upon that principle. That we are one nation under God. We understand from the very beginnings of the, the Declaration of Independence that these were men who held faith in God as the Creator. And thereby the blessing came to the United States because of that. Because we recognize 
who God is. And the Bible says that that is the nation who is blessed, the one who recognizes that the Lord is their God. And where men do not recognize that, there is desolation. There's nothing there. It's desolate. It's barren. There's nothing productive at all. And where men have chosen throughout the years and generations and civilizations over time to worship false idols, it's desolate, it's barren. And God says it is abominable. Why? Because he created you and I. He created us in his likeness, in his image. And he created us to see him. And he's given us all the signs to recognize who God is. And for men to stand today and say there is no God, there is no real God, there is no creator of anything, that all of this that we see is just chance that is before us. And of course, in our day and time, the the out-and-out mocking of God. Things like that, to, to poke a finger in the eye of God in such a way. Because God... He tells us that he is a jealous God. He will have no other gods before him. That doesn't mean he's on an ego trip or anything. It means that he wants us to recognize the only way that our lives can function and work is if we exalt him and put him first in our lives. We recognize who God is, that he is God, that he is the creator of all, and we subject ourselves to him. And when we don't do that, we begin to go about our own lives Worshipping the things of our lives instead of the things of God. We all do that to some extent. Unfortunately, we prioritize things above God. We say this is more important than God. And ultimately, as we heard in, in Sunday school this morning, we will each one have to give an account. And the question will be, what did you do with my son? That's the question that we will have to answer. What did you do with my son? And it won't help at that time to stand and say, well, I watched every rerun of MASH at least twice. You see, that doesn't count. That doesn't go anywhere. It doesn't get anything. It's what did you do with my son is the question. And we will each give an answer to that question. And I believe, as has been said before, some with tears of regret for the opportunities that we missed and the things that we should have done that we did not do. Ultimately, we will all come to that place and that point. Now, Jesus tells us this. He says there's coming a day in time, as we've looked at these events, that as the, the church is taken out of this world and the tribulation begins, this 70th week of Daniel, Jeremiah describes it as Jacob's trouble, a time of Jacob's trouble. Jacob being the the same word that we see for Israel. This is a time specifically of Israel's trouble. Because during the tribulation, two-thirds of the nation of Israel will perish. And the third, a remnant will be left. And Jesus saying this, when you see these events take place, and he ends those words with those words in parentheses, let the reader understand. Whoso readeth, let him understand. Uh, It tells me a couple of things. It tells me that there is understanding that comes as we read God's Word. 
And it also tells me this, if we don't read God's Word, if we don't spend time in God's Word and read it for ourselves, there will be no understanding that comes to us. You see, God has given us a word of encouragement there. The Lord has, has Himself shown us that has been interjected into the text. We see that several times in the book of Revelation. There is that, that ray of hope that's there. It is to remind us as we read these horrific events there is a way out. There is a way of escape. We need to understand these things. And Jesus says, when you see these events, when you see this event, the abomination of desolation, that Daniel spoke of, then understand. And the events that are to come. The action that is. But you see, we can't take action on anything in our lives unless we have understanding of what's around us. You and I, we wait for the moving of the Holy Spirit. But when He does move, and when He does speak to us, and when He does work on our behalf, then there is an action that needs to be taken as well. And that's what our Lord is saying. The prophet Daniel gives us three instances where he speaks of the abomination of desolation. And what he does is he tells us that it is not only a historic event, but it is a prophetic event also. And that's the great thing about what we see here. When we look at this and we can't imagine what this really means, our Lord says this. He says, there will be a type of the Antichrist who has been in the history of the world. There will be a picture of this one to give you an inclination, to give you a clue of what I'm speaking of, he says. And that's what we see as we, as we look at Daniel Chapter 11, verse 31, and you don't have to turn there, I'll read it for you, but you're certainly welcome to. Daniel is speaking of a historic event that will take place. Now, Daniel is speaking prophetically of something that's going to happen in the future. But Daniel speaks of two events, one in the near future, one in the future that is far beyond. So as we look back on those events now, in our day and time, we're looking back in the past on a historical event that took place somewhere around the year 170 before Christ. 170 years before Christ was born, Daniel writes in chapter 11, verse 31, he says these words, and this is a continuation of the description, but he says, Forces shall stand on his part, this evil person, they shall pollute the sanctuary of strength and shall take away the daily sacrifice and they shall place the abomination that maketh desolate. Daniel is speaking of a historic event that took place again the year 170 B.C. or somewhere right about that time. There was a Syrian king who came to the throne after Alexander the Great had conquered all of the known world. A few years later, under those who would follow him, there was a Syrian king that came to the throne. His name was Antiochus IV. And he was described as a very unique individual because Antiochus IV decided that he was the embodiment of the Greek god Zeus. He decided himself that he was God. And so he, he changed his name. No longer would he be Antiochus IV, but he changed his name to Antiochus Epiphanes. Literally, he called himself Theos Epiphanes. Now, uh, that is a Greek term. It just means Antiochus, 
the God, is what he called himself. So he considered himself not only to be a great ruler and a great leader, but he considered himself to be God as well. And he demanded that the entire world worship him. And some of the world did, but it was reluctantly that they did so. You see, behind the scenes, the people that he ruled over didn't call him Antiochus Epiphanes. Behind the scenes, they called him Antiochus Epimenes. They changed that little saying in the, in the Greek there. But what it meant was Antiochus the madman, the Epimenes. So he said, you will call me Antiochus the God, and behind his back they called him Antiochus the madman, because that's what he was. He was, he was mad, and eventually he did go insane completely, ranting and raving about how he was God. He demanded that the entire world worship him, but, but once again we had the, the Jews in Jerusalem that refused to do so. The temple had been rebuilt. Zerubbabel's temple was now there. Sacrifices were going on, and he understood very plainly, they are not worshiping me. And so Antiochus Epiphanes, as he called himself, personally went into the temple at Jerusalem. Coming down to this area and entering the temple himself, where, where it was always understood that a Gentile could not enter into the temple. He would enter the temple with his forces, and thereon he would take the, the priest captive at that time. He took a pig and he slaughtered it on the altar of the Lord. He made the priest drink the blood. And then he forced them to eat the raw pork from that pig. Now, of course, pigs are uh, a defiled animal, an unclean animal. And certainly this idea of doing something this abominable within the temple of the living God. How in the world could this take place? And this is what Daniel speaks of. This, is, this was the kind of madman that came on the scene many, many years ago. It was not only an abominable act, but it was the, it was the desolation. It defiled the temple. It defiled everything that spoke of God, of the worthiness of God, of the worship of God, of the holiness of God. He completely disregarded all of that in this one act that he did. But Daniel speaks of a time when he says that this one who came is just a small picture of one who will come. This one known as the Antichrist. This one who will come forth. And in the day that is to come, this one, the Antichrist, will rise up. The Bible says he will rise up after the church is gone. The church is taken out, is, is raptured to heaven, and now, as the tribulation begins to unfold here on earth, there will be coming forth a world leader. He will be a slick-tongued orator who will be able to, to speak very eloquently before people. He will gather people together. People will look to him. He'll be somebody of charisma and somebody of, of courage and and the world will begin to flock to him and listen to his words and begin to rely on him and call on him for a solution to the problems of this world. And that's what the Bible tells us. That's what Daniel chapter 9 also tells us. That he will be this one who comes forth. And for a time it says that despite all of the things that are unfolding on earth, the tribulation, 
and all of the, the pain and anguish and the suffering and, and, and widespread death all around, there will be this lie perpetuated that says, things are going to get better. Don't worry, things are going to get better. I have the answer. We're working on it. Things are going to get better. And the world will be duped into believing that in that day and time. Looking around at all the signs, all the things that have taken place, and the very spirit of the living God, which has been trampled upon, they will trust in themselves until there is a point that comes. It is called the midpoint of the tribulation. And by the time we get to the midpoint of the tribulation, the Bible says this, that this one who gathers all of the world together, the Antichrist, as you and I refer to him, the beast, as the Bible refers to him, will now turn his back upon those that he has showed such charisma and, and promise to and will demand the worship of them. The Bible says that he will set up his own image in the temple. This is described to us in 2 Thessalonians 2. But also in Revelation 13 we see these things as well. He sets up his own image in the temple and he demands now that the entire world worship him just as his predecessor did many, many years before. And this is what Jesus is describing now. For the nation of Israel, this will be the sign. The sign of all these things. The sign of those things that are to come to pass. First peace, and then worship of this one. Worship or death. Two choices. And the world will be forced to take the mark, it says, whatever that means. To take the mark of this one, to pledge allegiance to him, to worship him. And those who don't will be killed. Now God is going to make a provision for the nation of Israel in that day and time. He's going to make a provision to hide them. And we'll look at that next week. Well, what about for you and I, the Gentiles? We're not Israel, we're the Gentiles. Well, our promise is today in this age of grace to go with Him. To be known by His name, to be called up with Him, to rise when He calls our name. Well, what if we miss the boat? Well, like I said last time, you get saved and you just pray that your time comes quickly. But you see, the problem is the world will say it's going to get better. It's going to get better. They didn't know what they were talking about. Those Christians did not know. Don't worry. Things will get better. Just hold on. Trust in the guy with the solution. He's the man with a plan. And the world will be deceived and duped. There will be a few who will come to know the Lord. Ultimately, the Bible says Israel will be saved doesn't say much about the Gentile world. Maybe that's why the Bible tells us at the end of that verse, whoever reads this, let them understand. Let them understand. Right there in plain English. Today is the day of grace. Now is the time of salvation. Now is the time that we profess the Lord. Now for you and I, the Gentiles, who are grafted in, this is our time. Things don't look too good after the rapture of the church. This is our time. This is our hope.
That's why we need to trust in the Lord now. And if you've not made that commitment to trust in the Lord, to serve Him, to surrender your life to Him, you need to do so. Because we don't know what lies in store beyond today. Is there going to be a tomorrow? How much is enough before the Lord says, it's time? Stand with me if you would this morning. Jesus gives a warning to the disciples. He gives a warning to the nation of Israel. But he also throws in that little term. Whoever reads this, understand. I believe that's for us today. It's for us here. It's for us individually. It's for us as a nation. To trust in the Lord. To give our lives to the Lord. And we can stand and say, yes, I am saved. I know I'm saved. I know I've been delivered from darkness to light. Because I placed my faith and my trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And the evidence of that is in my life that I'm living for him. Do you have that evidence in your life this morning? Do you have the marks of salvation in your life? Can the world look at you and see that you truly are a child of God, a Christian, blood-bought, redeemed, ready to go? Because if you're not, my friend, the Bible says, get ready. Be ready. Today is the day. Now is the time. If you need to make that decision, this altar is here. It's available for you. And we will meet with you here. And God will meet with you here. And you can realize His promises. Do you have that hope this morning? Do you have that promise? Father, we pray this morning for the peace of every heart. The comfort of every heart to know you, to trust in you. And Father, we pray that every heart does this day. But if there be any that are lacking this day, any that don't, Father, we pray that your hand of conviction and blessing would be upon them. And draw them to your side. That they might know of your goodness of your salvation. Father, we pray for our lost loved ones and friends this day. We pray for the condition of our world this day. That, Lord, you would continue to gather in a harvest. That you would speak words in our hearts that we might be a witness to our friends and our loved ones. That we might be men and women of purpose for you. We pray to be used of you, Father. We pray that you would show us through your word, through the leading of your spirit, 
what you would have for each of us. We pray, Father, that our hearts would cry out to you each day. Lord, lead us by your hand. Feed us according to your word. And use us for your glory. In these days, Father, may we be busy about your business until your soon return. Until your blessing comes, we ask it in Jesus' name. And all God's people say, Amen. Thank you for joining us at New Mansion Church Online. We would love to connect with you at newmansion.org. You can connect with our pastor, Dr. Jeff Marsh Sr. at pastorjeffmarsh.com. God bless, and we hope to see you again soon.